Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. I'm going to read from verse 1. 2 Chronicles 29. <coughs> Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. Let's just pray. Father, as we look at your word, we thank you for what you've said to us this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we, that we have to worship you. And we come and ask you that you will speak to us as we look at your word today. Amen. Well, we're, we're looking at Hezekiah. Um, <coughs> his name means God has strengthened. And apart from David and Solomon, he's actually probably the most um, written about king in the Bible of Israel, king of Israel and Judah. So he's mentioned in Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Micah. He's, he comes up in all those places. And it's because of what he did and the way that he turned the nation around. So far we've seen that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He understood that past blessings could become a snare. He persevered right to the end of his life, which wasn't particularly common in the Old Testament. He prepared for the future. He received the blessing of God. And as last, last week, um, I wasn't here, but you heard good king, bad king, and the best king, and the snake being destroyed. Today is actually part of two so I'm preaching this week and next week and I uh, tried to condense it all into one but it didn't work so um, it's going to be two weeks so we're going to start with the bad news 
Hezekiah did not have a great upbringing. His father, Ahab, was a particularly bad king. Now, on the positive side, Hezekiah was not one of the children of Ahab that Ahab burned in the fire as a sacrifice. On the bright side. But imagine living at home, never quite knowing whether you're going to wake up in the morning and Daddy's saying, another sacrifice, oh, it's you today. I suspect that would have added a certain tension in the family and a certain sense of, I've got a whole palace to hide in, I'm going to hide from Daddy. (coughs) His father, (coughs) sorry, also led the people of Judah away from God. He actually shut the doors of the temple and said, okay, we're not going to worship there. Actually, we'll build our own altar. We'll take some of the stuff out of the temple. We'll put it out the front and we will worship the gods of the other nations. He set up false altars. He set up false worship. His father reigned for 16 years. And that was the environment that Hezekiah was brought up in. Now, he knew that this was not the God of their ancestors. This worship was not the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, not the God of of their father, David. He was leading, Ahab was leading the people of Israel away from God. Now, I put it to you that our church in the UK is not great. It's not great. Churches that are growing, and there aren't many of them, mostly are growing slower than the population rate. So if you take somewhere like Kettering, we are growing as a town rapidly. Consequently, there are more and more new estates around. And to grow as quickly as Kettering, we've probably got to grow as a church, sort of across the town, not just us, by about 20% a year, just to keep up with the growth of the population. And that's in churches that are growing. Across the nation, churches are shrinking. We are not in a good way. And sometimes I think it's good to start with where we are and then look for the dreams that we want to see. Because that adds a sense of reality. And sometimes you can go to, you know, you can go to a big conference or a big leaders meeting and you think, hey, we're really doing something. But actually, we've got to face the fact that as a church, as God's people, in the UK, we are shrinking. We are largely morally irrelevant. It's just a fact. Now the the politicians and the councils, they love our good works. They love our food banks. They love our debt counselling services. They love all the... (coughs) um, 
play groups and mothers and mothers, parents groups that we run. They love all that stuff. But when we try to talk about Jesus, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Can't do that. Because largely you're bigoted. You have a truth that you hold to. You have a morality that actually we don't like. And largely we are morally irrelevant. And at times in severe danger of being taken to court for views that we hold, which we believe are God's laws and God's understanding of us, his best for us. <laughs> Sums up the church. <laughs> GPS signal lost. And let's face it, the church in the UK is lacking spiritual power. I, I once uh, spent um, 10 days in a nation where it's illegal for people to go to church, but they still turned up. And uh, at every place I preached at, people became Christians. In fact, I did a seminar on spiritual gifts. And I said at the end, any questions? And this girl puts her hand up and says, how do I become a Christian to experience this? So, like, excuse me, I haven't made an appeal or anything, you know. <laughs> and uh, on the last day, well, last day I was there, the night I was flying out the following morning, um, we were in the church service and they brought me a lady and they said, can you pray for her? And I was like, I took one look. If you were in Britain, you would be in a hospice. She was just riddled with cancer. I said, can you pray for her? I said, I'm in front of about 90 people in a front room. I can't not say no, can you? <laughs> so you sort of close your eyes and uh, you want me to pray for healing. So I just, I prayed. I said, Father, I ask you, Will you bring healing to this lady? And uh, a little bit more, and then I stopped. And I thought, I've done the best I could. Before I left, there was a phone call. They said, that's the first night I've slept, I've got no pain, and I'm walking with ease, and I'm holding my food down. I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen? It happened because I was in an environment where they really believed that God did things. And it's like, is this going to happen when I go home? And it didn't. Because we haven't got that atmosphere of faith, confidence, boldness. What Ruth brought to us, she understood something of I've stopped dreaming in case I'm disappointed. And Hezekiah came from an, an environment, sorry, <coughs> I'd nearly lost my voice before I'd gone to Cyprus, it's back, but I'm still not quite, quite 100%. Hezekiah came from an environment that was totally opposite to the one he wanted to build. 
He wanted to build a nation that was worshipping, that was experiencing the power of God, that was living in the righteousness of God. That's what he wanted to build. He started from here where he was lucky to escape being burned as a sacrifice, but he wanted to get over here and he dreamed of a nation that was going to be different. A nation that worshipped God, a, wor- a, a nation that restored its, its uh, confidence in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, his great-great-great-great-grandfather. That's what he dreamed of and that's what he began to change. So what did he do to change things? First of all, in verse 10, it said this, Hezekiah says, Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. He knew the answer was in God. It wasn't in clever strategies. It wasn't, this is no way knocking it, in a good worship band. Weren't they great today? It wasn't, in getting our buildings right. It wasn't, as in some books, you've got to have really good coffee. That's literally true. I've read books that have said, you've got to get your coffee right to grow as a church. Oh, man. Now, Dave and Barbara here, who clearly married when they were about 10... They've just celebrated their 50th anniversary. Many of us danced the night away, didn't we? (laughs) Now, we should have revival today because they brought the cake with them. So we've got coffee and cake (laughs) for what will be, for me, the third week running we've had cake. Surely we should have revival. No. Hezekiah knew that it wasn't coffee, it wasn't cake. It was going to be God. God that changed everything. So he went to God and he intended to make a covenant with the Lord. Secondly, he opened the temple doors. Now for the the people of Israel... And the people of Judah, the temple was the symbol of where God dwelt. That was where the God of Israel lived, in a house built by Solomon. That was how they saw it. That's how they perceived it. So when Ahab closed the doors and maybe even nailed them shut to make sure they couldn't be opened, what he was saying was, we don't want God anymore in our society. We don't want to hear what this God has to say. We don't like what he has to say. We prefer the God of the world around us. We prefer the God that sacrifices children. We prefer God that we can burn incense to on every hill. This God is not the God that we want. And let's face it, our nation largely has shut that door. And it's for us to open the door again for us to say our God is a good God, a great God, a compassionate God, a holy God, a powerful God. 
That's the God that we believe in. And we need his presence back into our society. The doors were opened so the presence of God could go out into the world. And we need to open those temple doors again. It also says that he, um, this is verse 3, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. Which is interesting. I would say one of the things that doors do is they held in the presence of God, they're opened now, and the presence of God could go out into the nation. But we do need the doors to be repaired so that not anything can come in. We want to be, quite rightly, a welcoming church, and we are. We want to be a church that anyone feels comfortable coming into. I remember reading the story of uh, David Pawson, who was a great preacher back in the 60s, 70s, and mid-80s. And some, some steward came to him after the meeting and said, David, we had a visitor today. They came in smoking and I wasn't sure what to do. And he said this. He said, I hope they felt free enough to come in doing that. I hope that they've also felt the holiness that they won't do it again. Smoking was right or wrong. It was just a sense of just walking in doing what they wanted. We want, we want to be welcoming. But it, when it comes to who is the body of Christ, when it comes to who is the church, the holy chosen of God, we do need doors there somewhere, sometimes. And we have to say no to some people. Because to be part of the church, there has to be repentance from the old way of life. There has to be faith in Jesus and what he has accomplished on the cross. There has to be that, uh, that, that filling of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, faith, baptism, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how we become part of the church, the holy people of God. So he opened the temple doors, he repaired them. And then he encouraged the priests and the Levites to be diligent. He says this, he gathers the priests and the Levites, those who served God. Now in the days of Israel and Judah and the temple, there was a, a, um, a strata of society that served at the temple. They were the priests and the Levites. There was a strata of society um, that were allowed to worship God. But we are the new priests. We are those who serve God. There is no longer a particular caste of people that are priests. Every one of God's children is a priest. Everyone can serve God. Everyone can worship him. Everyone can pray to him. Everyone can hear his voice into, into their life. And he says this, My people, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, serve him, 
to minister before him and to burn incense. It starts off with God has chosen you. If you're part of the body of Christ, if you're one of his holy people, never stop rejoicing that God has chosen you. I'm always a little bit conflicted, if I'm honest, because it's like, God, you've chosen me. Why not, why not my brother? Why not my sister? Why not this person? Why not that person? And so it can create a little bit of conflict in me in a way, sort of, why have you chosen me? But then you have to step back and say, God is all wise. He listens to my prayers. And he's still chosen me. And the 60 days of prayer, the promise today, get it right, is Psalm 103, verse 13, where God says, if you're a child of God, he says this to you. I love you deeply as a father loves his children. That's today's promise. To think about and to ponder. I love you as a father. Now that can, you know, probably most of us have had fairly good fathers. Some of us have had appalling fathers. But God is the perfect father. And he loves us deeply. So Hezekiah would say to us, my people do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you. Let's continue to rejoice. And he's called them to stand before him, serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. To stand before him is to listen. We've been chosen to listen to the voice of God. And I do want to say for us as Open Door, it is for us all to listen, personally, but also for Open Door. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says together we, we all have the mind of Christ. In Acts 16, we hear of Paul getting a little bit stuck on a mission trip and he has a vision and then he shares it and it says, well, we all concluded this was a good vision, so we went ahead with it. And I am, I am encouraged that more and more people are coming forward with, is there any chance we can do this? How can, what about this? Can we do this? As a church, can we do this? And Adrian and I just want to say, we want to encourage us to hear from God for open door. Adrian and I are elders in the church, fathers, we have a care for you. We bring some direction, we bring a sense of security, we hope. We bring, sort of keep an eye on what the doctrine that's preached, bring a sense of vision. But together, as God speaks to us, we can find our way forward in this new season. 
We are all called to stand before God to listen to him. We are to serve him. And that's about the way we live. Not on a Sunday morning, but on the rest of the week. To serve God in our homes, in our jobs, when we're out shopping, when we're waiting for the bus, when we're stuck in traffic. But to be looking to serve our God in whatever way we can. To live by the will of God in purity, in power, in what we tell the world around us. We have to stand before him, to serve him, to minister before him. We are called to be those who worship God. Worship with whatever we have, with our croaky voices, our beautifully in-tune voices, our beautifully out-of-tune voices, our prayers of adoration, praise and thanksgiving, our times when we just lie in the presence of God and say, God, you are so great. You are so awesome. You are so vast. I worship you. You are God and I am not. I am like you, made in your image, but you are not like me. You are God, perfect in every way. And then to burn incense. To burn incense was to pray. The 60 hours of prayer, 60 people praying two minutes a day. There is a bit of a gimmick about it, to be honest, isn't there? <laughs> but it does do something important. Each day there are two things to give thanks for for the last 24 hours. It just helps us to, to grow in a thankful mentality. There's the promises to grasp hold of that are in God's word for us. And then there's to have all together praying for the same thing. 60 people, two minutes. Gives us 60 hours of extra prayer. Now I just mentioned the sense of gimmick about it because I think some people might not sign up because they think it's just a gimmick sort of thing. Well, yeah, it is. But it is also an opportunity for us to demonstrate that we are a family together. We are an army together. We are on a mission together to change the world in which we live. So I just encourage you to go along with the gimmick. Enjoy it. Grow in it. And uh, together we will grow in prayer. We live in a world in the UK that needs us. We live in a world that needs you and needs me to be standing strong for Jesus. Because the world we live in is hurt, it's largely aimless, 
it's pretty disappointed and it doesn't know where it's going. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story and we know how to help people have a magnificent end to their story. Without being arrogant, we really are the answer that the world needs. We have only to be diligent, recognizing we're chosen so that we can stand before him, serve him, minister to him, and burn incense to him. Hezekiah wanted to change the world in which he lived. Next week we'll have a little bit a look at a little bit more at how he did it. Amen.